Well, good morning. My name is Cor Shemaleski. I'm on the pastoral staff here at Hope. Uh, really glad to have you with us. We are in week seven of our fall sermon series, and that is titled Made for God, Identity, Gender, Sex. And we've been working through what the Bible would say about each of these things, and that will continue today. Uh, we have a resources page if you are looking for more information, uh, want to go deeper on any of the topics we've been looking at, encourage you to go there. The, the team, the staff team has put that together. Would really encourage you to consider looking at that. If you have a question, you, you might want to just preemptively get this queued up on your phone because I got questions about uh, some of today's message. And so uh, I want to encourage you, go there ask your question, and we will on tonight's Zoom call between 8 and 9 p.m., well, actually, probably like between 8 p.m. and midnight. I think it might be like, last week was two hours almost, this might be four hours this week, but we'll see. Um, why? Why? Because today is uh, especially challenging and plays into the realities of the world we live in. We're going to be looking at um, respect, honesty, truth, and love for those experiencing gender dysphoria and or identifying as trans. Uh, because of the enormity and the sensitivity of this topic, I just wanna pause and ask the Lord to help us, to, to be with us in this. Jesus, you see us right now, and that gives us a lot of hope. You don't just see us as you want us to be, but as we are right now as we sit in this place with all of the thoughts that go through our mind, with all the affections that flood our hearts. I just, even as that title flashes on the screen, I'm sure that there are people curious or maybe even worried about what might come out of my mouth in the next bit of time. And so ultimately, God, it's not that I say everything perfectly. It's not that they hear and think of everything perfectly, but that ultimately we are a community on a journey trying to better understand how to live this life under God because of the good news of Jesus Christ that has uh, been declared over us. That ultimately today is about you, God. It's about you and your good design. It's about you and your gospel. It's about ultimately that nothing that we can do to save ourselves but it is all about what you have done to rescue and to redeem and to draw near. We pray this, God. Help, help us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So from the onset, I want to grant each of you permission to not know everything, to not have the answer to every question, to not be able to address every issue, every circumstance, every political reality, cultural reality, theological reality, sociological reality. I, I, as I was researching, there were like 20 different fields of study that this intersects with. And so I want us to take a breath and to give ourselves permission to not know everything, to not understand everything, to not be able to go out on social media and declare to the world our understanding of all these things. I've had to remind myself of that this week. I, my wife repeatedly, as I was working on the message this weekend, would be like, you can't say everything. You're not gonna be able to answer every question, right? So I grant you that same permission. Now, when saying that, I don't want us to then disengage from the topic, disengage from 
the real lived experiences of those who struggle and wrestle with gender dysphoria or those who have considered or even adopted a trans identity. Because in so many ways, that person that you might think that is way out there is here. This is us, okay? This, the, the re, this is us with all the mustache glory. This is, this is not somebody out there. These are hope people that are working through this, struggling through this, trying to better understand themselves in light of these things. And so I wanna be clear that it is impacting us directly but it's also impacting a large majority of all of us indirectly because it's maybe not us, but it's a sibling of ours. It's a friend of ours, it's a coworker or a neighbor, it's a classmate, it's our parent, or it's one of our children. And so I wanna make sure that we're talking about the people and the realities as though they're in the room because they're in the room. And therefore we're not joking and we're not belittling and we're not, we're not making light of because this is us, this is our community. It's been reported that three in 10 teens are or know someone who has changed his or her identity. 83%, according to uh, one study, 83% of LGBTQ persons were raised in the church were raised in the church. So it was perhaps the theology and, and, and what the Bible says, but more often than not, it was a lack of love, a lack of acceptance, perhaps too narrow or rigid of gender stereotypes. Maybe the church not providing enough room, enough space for questions, for doubts, for struggles. And so I wanna make sure that as we talk about this, we're sensitive to this is us, folks. This is our community. This is our reality. And in engaging with this material and, and reading and hearing from the stories of, of people that either have adopted a trans identity uh, or who are transitioning, whether hormonally or surgically, or whether it's those going through gender dysphoria, there's, there's just kind of this pulse, this rhythm of, of things that kind of keep coming back, keep coming back. What do they desire? to be loved, to belong, to be seen and heard, to be valued, to be viewed as indispensable, to be protected from abuse and other mistreatment. And if, if maybe gender dysphoria or transgender identities is, is not maybe your current struggle, and if we were to just supplant that and put in your current struggle, my guess is we would be vocalizing these same things, that in the midst of our own personal struggles, whatever they might be, related to human sexuality or something else, there is just this communal, universal, human desire to be loved, to, to, be, to belong, to be seen and heard, to be valued, to be viewed as indispensable, that, that your absence would be meaningful and heartbreaking, that there would be a loss. But not everybody has heard that message, including those who struggle and have worked through the realities we're gonna discuss. So four things for us this morning, four things. I uh, spent a lot of time on this message and the last 
12 hours was basically trimming this message to get it to fit within this service. Um, <clears throat> friends, I usually spend like six hours, seven hours on a message. I don't spend 12 hours on a message and 12 hours was just the trimming part. So uh, there's just a lot, but here's where we're gonna go uh, this morning. Just very briefly gonna talk about some definitions and realities. Uh, I, I can't assume that everybody is on the same page and so we'll just briefly look at that. Uh, there is kind of a significant big question. I mentioned it, I think in week one or week two uh, or week three, uh, but we'll revisit that. And then um, I think the bulk of our time is gonna be on the five biblical responses to, the, to that big question and, and why ultimately I feel like they are good in life giving. I think so many times sermons stay within the category of right, wrong, true, false, and I actually want to broaden us out to say God's ways, not just being true, but good, life-giving. And I want us to, to hear that and hopefully see that. Even when how you answer that big question might be different than how I answer it, that we would remain open to considering the realities of God. And then closing with, where do we go from here? Including a, a testimony from a, from a hopester who has been in these waters throughout much of their life. So let's go to uh, just some, some definitions very briefly for, for, for us to consider this morning. The first is uh, transgender or trans, which can be an umbrella term encompassing many things, but uh, it can be an identity that some people use when they experience some kind of incongruence between their biological sex and their gender identity or gender expression or gender roles. And this is an umbrella term. And what I mean by that is uh, this can include lots of people, those who are experiencing just mild forms of gender dysphoria to experiencing extreme gender dysphoria, those who are maybe still identifying with their biological sex or some have said, I want to socially or hormonally or uh, surgically transition to uh, the other sex. And for some it is uh, adopting perhaps a queer or non-binary uh, persona. And so it's an umbrella term and I'm gonna, I'm gonna tend to use transgender or trans and yet as I use that here preaching, if you come visit me in my office tomorrow, there's so much nuance and there's so much subtlety and there's so many differences, but forgive me, uh, just given the, the nature of preaching, I need to use it more as an umbrella term. But one of the phrase, fa favorite phrases of Preston Sprinkle, who's written and taught on this topic, uh, he would say repeatedly in his book, if you've met one transgender person, you've met one transgender person. And so a lot of uniqueness uh, and individualization within. The next term is gender dysphoria, which refers to the distress that comes from this incongruence between a person's body, their sex, and what they have go through their mind or how they identify with their gender. So a couple things to note that are really important. We at Hope don't believe that gender dysphoria, the feelings, the struggle, the challenges, that that itself is a sin. And that's really how we've addressed a lot of the sexual challenges that we face, the temptations, the inclinations. Uh, even as we say, hey, giving into those is not in your best interest. Seemingly the, the, 
The Bible is saying this is true. The Bible is saying this is, is good. This is life giving for you. And so we're not speaking about the inclinations or the temptations as sin. I want you to hear that. Rather, when we start kind of venturing off road is what do we do with those inclinations? How do we respond? And so the experience of gender incongruence would appear to be largely a non-volitional and to some extent, a non-moral affliction. It can be also deeply distressing. And so our first response to those who are suffering from it ought to be compassion and care, not condemnation or censure. I think we have a choice to move toward them or move away from them. But as they're the ones in struggle, as they're the ones who are suffering, I think we're called to move toward. Jesus moved toward us in our suffering and in our pain. Regarding uh, the differences between biological sex and gender, I'll state it this way. Uh, biological sex, that which is anatomical and, and very physical. I'm gonna tend to use the words man, woman, male, female, but when referencing gender and that internal subjective identification, I'm gonna tend to use maleness, femaleness, and masculinity, femininity. This is just a primer. We're just getting started. If you wanna go deeper, I would highly recommend this book or this resource. The book embodied, written by Preston Sprinkle. I already mentioned him once, gonna mention him again in a little bit. I got a copy of it in the front row if you wanna page through it after service. Christian Sexuality is a video series of a number of Christian leaders, including Preston, including uh, Jackie Hill Perry, Francis Chan, and a number of other um, Christian leaders working through these topics, working through the realities that we face. What does this mean? This, this gender dysphoria, how is this experienced? You might be sitting there and, and feel very disconnected from what I'm talking about. Uh, and that's okay to acknowledge. Re Rebecca McLaughlin uh, wrote uh, a book and in that she says this, those of us who have not experienced gender dysphoria cannot really hope to grasp it. Sometimes we love people best by acknowledging that we don't understand. It's okay, it's okay. Doesn't mean we can't sympathize, doesn't mean we can't sit with, doesn't mean we can't engage and listen to and, and concern ourselves with these individuals in our lives, but it's okay to say it. I'm not there. And yet, listen to how one person who experiences dysphoria describes it. She says it this way, dysphoria feels like being unable to get warm no matter how many layers you put on. Have not every one of us experienced that in the middle of a Minnesota winter where you just can't warm up? No matter what you do, no matter the number of clothes or blankets. We all know that experience. And therefore I hope that that allows us to identify and to sympathize with those experiencing gender dysphoria. But friends, now let me broaden it out. All of us have this in our relationship with God. All of us have this in some way, in some form or fashion in our lives as we engage this world around us. All of us in our Christian lives, are unable to get warm no matter what we do, no matter what we try. Again, in the area of sexuality or maybe something altogether separate from what we've been talking about in this series. All of us know that experience, right? 
And therefore, again, this is us. We're experiencing this. We're going through this struggle together. So that's point one this morning. Number two, the big question. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their internal self, which one determines who they are and why? That's the big question. If someone experiences incongruence between their biological sex and their internal sense of self, which one determines who they are and why? And if you remember going back to week one or week two, I talked about kind of biological sex and gender identity, right? Two things that we can distinguish, but I think biblically we have to keep connected. I don't think we can altogether disconnect these two and keep a biblical anthropology, a biblical understanding of personhood, of human life. Can we distinguish them in order to talk about them? Yes, but I think the moment that we disconnect these two, I think we venture away from the biblical interplay between the two, the anthropological interplay that must take place between the two, the one informing the other. Now, as we do this, I think um, for some of you, you already know that culture has answered this question. Culture has said either one can take the lead. It's okay if sex, biological sex leads out and gender follows or gender can lead out and then we can potentially have biological sex follow. I think that is problematic. I think that's challenging to the biblical account that we have in front of us. And I'm gonna give some responses as to why that I think that is. But ultimately, again, we're talking about people. People just like us and therefore some of the ways that these individuals have been regarded is really heartbreaking for me. Being referred to as monsters, evil, more sinful. Friends, there's no place for that within the church, within the Christian witness, that somehow they deserve to be mistreated or assaulted or abused. No, never, never. We are all called to live with sexual integrity to steward the bodies that we were given and we're all on a journey and we're all struggling through that journey. Please hear that. But yes, culture has spoken and culture has said human integrity is this. And so if you speak against that, you stand against human integrity. In some ways, culture got there first. And I think what they've said is really, either one can be the horse and either one can be the cart. And I think according to the scriptural testimony, we have to hold that where there is dysphoria, where there's discomfort, where there's distress, because there seems to be this incongruence, there's this felt incongruence. I think we have to rely on biological sex being the horse and gender being the cart. So let's talk more about that. Not just that we feel like it's a scriptural account, believe that it's a scriptural account, but also that it's good and life-giving. So, Let's look at the five biblical answers to this BQ, to this big question and why they might be good and life-giving. First, God created two visible, equal, sacred, complementary, and very good representatives. Can you tell why 
I had so so much, like that was the, that was the shortened version, friends. That, I mean, let me read from Genesis 1 here. It says, then God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So a couple things to note here. God as creator, God as maker is saying, I'm going to make human beings and they are gonna be made in my image. And part of that image bearing is being created male and female. And we can see even from this text that those aren't just gender categories, but they must be sex categories, categories of biological sex because he is gonna give the command to be fruitful and to multiply, to increase in number, to fill the earth. And so we know that at the very least, as we discuss male and female here, biological sex has to be in view, which again is connected to bearing the divine image. That, that our visible sexed beings is a part of bearing that divine image. And in so much of the ancient world where male and female were treated with inequality, God is very clear in stressing the equality. 100% bearing the divine image as a man, 100% bearing the divine image as a woman. And then again, that both are called to be fruitful and to multiply. About that image bearing, I wanna quote Preston Sprinkle. He says this, the body is essential to our image bearing status. According to Genesis 1.27, the Hebrew word for image is selim, to selim. And it almost always refers to idols throughout the Old Testament. What are idols? They're visible representations of an invisible deity. Really important for us to hear that. That this is not arbitrary. This is not happenstance. This is intentional. This is God as creator trying to communicate himself through a visible reality, that of man and woman. What is more, it's not just that your body is a housing unit, Quite, quite a bit more. Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You, your body is a sacred vessel. It is compared to a temple. And if you have read, huh? if you've read through your Old Testament, and you got to the description of the temple and you just page after page after, and you're reading for hours about how the temple is described in its construction. And then you think you're done and then it's repeated as like, and this is what they built. And it was like, we already talked about that. The plans became the reality, but we read through it twice. But all of that to communicate how ornate, how precious, how sacred, how intentional is God with the temple? And then our bodies, 
are compared to that. How sacred are you, friend? How sacred is your body? Your body like sacred architecture whom God dwells within. It's phenomenal. So these are visible, equal, sacred, but also complementary representatives. We've talked in the past, but I want to make explicit the dimorphism, the sexual dimorphism. And this is something that whether inside the church, outside the church is not debated. The presence, the reality of sexual dimorphism, man, woman, male, female in biological sexual realities, dimorphism, two forms, two bodies, two distinct, two different bodies. That is not debated. And therefore, then, when we go to thinking about this from a anthropological or Christian anthropological perspective, we have two spectrums. We don't have one. To maintain the Christian way, we don't have one spectrum where all of a sudden we have kind of a binary with male on one end and female on the other. And if you venture too far from the female binary or too far from the male binary, you might be not male or not female. That's, that's inconsistent with the scriptural teaching that, that male and female exist on two separate spectrums. And therefore, there should be latitude for maleness, for masculinity to be showcased with quite a variety. And the same for femininity, that there should be quite many times within the church, not outside in the cult, within the church, these things get narrowed down as far as maleness and femaleness masculinity and femininity. And yet we need to see that there are two forms, two spectrums when it comes to male, female, and I think therefore also masculinity and femininity, not one spectrum with a binary on each end of male and female. Don't have time to go to, into intersex conditions. Want to reference it, want to invite you to the Q&A. Uh, it's an important and yet a very, very small minority uh, percentage situation that exists within this conversation. We'll love to talk more. We've talked about this in depth in other places, so I'm just going to reference it briefly, but this male and female speaks to a greater reality, the reality of Christ in the church, and that's why this visible witness is important, this complementary, this two distinct forms, two different beings upholds this di differentiation between Christ and the church and God declares it good. And that's where I wanna end this first point. God declares it good. Because I think some of us who might struggle with sexual dysphoria, who have taken on a trans identity, are struggling with just, am I, am I created good? Am I okay? Friends, you're better than okay. Under God, you are created good. God declares, when he gets done creating man and woman, he declares it very good. Hear that, that you don't have to perform, you don't have to act, you don't have to do something, but rather to just receive that declaration that is good, good, very good. I had my heart break. There was an individual who was uh, um, interviewed for an article and this was a person who was on the verge of getting um, surgical, getting surgery to transition 
This person said this, I want to do this. This, this is what I want, but there's no guarantee it will make me happier. In fact, I don't expect it to. They don't expect that this life-altering, body-altering surgery is actually going to make them happier. They don't even have that expectation and, and my heart hurts because I want them to hear God's declaration that you're good as you are. You're good, you're good, you're very good. Number two, God is a master artist and God is a skilled potter. It says this in Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14. You created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God is a master artist and a skilled potter. And I wanna highlight this knitting together in my mother's womb, this stitching together. And I, I, wanna, I wanna just talk briefly, and this metaphor may not work for everybody, but it's been helpful for me as I think about the differences between stitch work, knitting, and patchwork. And I should have talked to my friend Carl, who is much more familiar with this than me, but stitching, knitting, thread, right? Not, not patchwork, but, but hearing in that scriptural teaching, God's work of art, stitching us together in our mother's womb. I heard it also put this way. There's, there's a master artist, that master artist involved in stitch work, the one who would consider patchwork, that's, that's akin to Lego building. Just taking disparate pieces together and kind of slapping them together and saying, look at what I've built. And I think this might also play into that question of, is there a male brain that's in a female body or a female soul in a male body? And I think as Rob Smith points out, the soul is the soul of the body and the body is the body of the soul, meaning God's stitching together soul, body, affections, personality, that those things are stitched and they can't be so easily pulled apart. It's not as though God went into this heap of body parts and just the person was being built and I just need to throw a brain, any brain will do. No, he's far more intricate in his creation of you and me, knitting us together, doing stitch work, I believe, not patchwork. God taking care, every stitch, every thread, height, weight, arms, legs, personality. Are you more introverted, extrovert? God stitching together you, unlike anyone else. God is the skilled potter. We are the clay. You are the potter. We are all the work of your hand, it says in Isaiah. And therefore, I think, if God is the skilled potter, then you have been wonderfully made. In one sense, no need for alterations. We can embrace ourselves according to the artist's original intent. Are we all experiencing his original intent? No, not in this fallen world. Do I think that's justification for pursuing a trans identity? I'm not there. And so I think the question in front of us, is this body to be embraced with thankfulness? I think it is. That ultimately a Christian worldview is to say, there's a creator, there's a potter, I'm the clay. He has created me according to his good pleasure and his good design. 
Ultimately, my life is increasingly blessed as I come to be accepting and thankful rather than rejecting and maybe even coveting what I see in someone else. Now, I wanna be clear, the cause of dysphoria is unknown. There's a host of possibilities. We're not able to delve deep into that. But regardless of what your struggle is this morning, I want to encourage us to grow in acceptance and thankfulness rather than a rejection and a coveting. There are at least four other scriptural references which say, he's the potter, we're the clay. Can we actually tell the potter that we know better? Or as Dumbledore is quoted as saying to Harry, the trouble is humans have a knack of choosing precisely those things that are worse for them. We all have that. We all have a tendency to choose what is worse for us. I wonder if there's also a, a worthy of a conversation about Rachel Dolezal. Rachel Dolezal was a leader of a local chapter of the NAACP. She identified as African-American because she believed internally that that's what she is. Her family would say, no, she's white. She's not African-American. She shouldn't be leading a local chapter. This created quite an uproar. Why was she not accepted? Now, it's not as cut and dry, I and mean, it's not a perfect one-to-one -one comparison, but currently right now, there is space for gender dysphoria to be the horse and not the cart, but not racial dysphoria to be the horse. Racial dysphoria currently is still being said, you must be the cart. We are gonna tie this to biological realities. And so I think it at least begs the question or a conversation for us. Ultimately trying not to make any one of us, again, the dysphoric, those who have a trans identity or those who feel absolute congruence. But ultimately to just remind us, God has made you. God is the creator, the designer, the potter. Third, God wants to stabilize us as it says in Matthew chapter seven. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the stream rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And I feel like scripture, I believe scripture is wanting to move us from areas of instability, chaos, disorganization to stability. Stability in our relationships, stabilities in our mental health, in our emotional maturity, stability in our self-esteem and self-acceptance. God wants to bring greater stability, not less stability. And I think that then begs the question as we're thinking about biological sex and gender identity, which one's the horse, which one's the cart? And I think as we think about these two, we see biological sex as a stability as a consistency, at least prior to the last 50 years. Throughout human history, in ages past, it was stable and so many people still see it as stable, static, unchanging. 
But gender identity, psyche, internal processing, it's malleable, it's fluid, it's dynamic. I think we just need to consider if that is the horse leading the cart, if that gets out in front, and then we try to bring our biological sex, our anatomy to match up, we don't have the guarantee that both are gonna stay there. I think that's the difficult part. The horse can wander off. Why? Because psyche is malleable, it's fluid, it's dynamic, it's ever changing. And so I think at the very least, it comes with a warning or a consideration. But friends, that's not just the challenge of transgender people or those facing gender dysphoria. This is all of us. All of us are called to have our minds renewed by something more static. All of us are unstable in our psyches, in our thinking, and we are called to stability through the renewing of our minds, the stability that only comes from Christ. We sing these words, when darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Friends, that is to be our number one identity. Not your gender, not even your biological sex, but Christ is Christ, the solid rock on which we stand. That you are first and foremost, a child of God. That that would be your static, that that would be your permanent. One quote says this, we will always be insecure if our identity is based on something within us, our feelings, our assertions, or our achievements. Now, if that weren't challenging enough, what do we do with gender norms, gender stereotypes that ultimately we in the church have said this is masculine and this is feminine, many times being way too narrow and creating a type of toxic masculinity, or if I can say femininity, so many people not fitting the Christian or church rubric of what passes as masculine or feminine. If I were to say that the church was holding a weekend retreat and you're gonna see a lot of long hair, a lot of people wearing skirts, and a lot of people with painting on their face, you might think it's a women's retreat. It's like, no, dudes are gonna get together and do a Braveheart reenactment, right? But we do that. (laughs) We do that, that happens. And so much of what passes as masculine and feminine is not necessarily biblical. Please hear that. And when we get together for a retreat and it's for the purposes of godly men and godly women, let's stress less maybe the men woman part and stress more the godly and let the godly then lead out of what it means to be man or woman in certain spaces. And ultimately man, woman tying back first and foremost to the fact that you are this according to your biological sex first and foremost. And then let's work through the gender struggles and the gender identity from there. Fourth, Jesus takes our Shame. Jesus takes our shame. It says the eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All of us struggle with this, including those facing gender dysphoria and trans identities. 
All of us struggle with being exposed, feeling that we're gonna get found out naked and ashamed. I heard this language a lot in my studies. I feel like a fraud. I feel like I'm hiding. I feel like a hypocrite, that I'm phony, that I'm a deceiver, that I have a double life. Those struggling in this area have vocalized that. And I think it's important for us to take note, but not because they're altogether different than maybe you and me who don't struggle in this area, but because all of this have a degree of hiding, feeling like a fraud, feeling like we're deceiving others. Part of it could be social. One person said, maybe you're not feeling like a girl because society or even the church makes it difficult to be a girl. Could be social. John Neal walked into my office a couple weeks ago and he goes, hey, have you seen the two lists? And I'm like, what are you talking about? Two lists, what, what do you? He goes, have you found that the maleness and female lists? Have you, have you found those two lists? I feel like people refer to them and talk about them. And it's clear that, you know, there's certain things on these lists. Do you have the list? I'm like, I don't have the list. He goes, but it seems like people have all these conversations and arguments about these lists, but I've never found the list. I think that's pretty appropriate for us to give consideration to. Who makes the list? Who keeps the list? Who gets to decide what's on the list and what's not on the list? Ultimately, I think we, again, we receive from God first an identity that is as a child of God first and foremost, far above. And then yes, I think the, the horse is biological sex and the cart is gender identity following. But even as we talk about that and we differentiate male and female, guess what? Men are different from other men and women are different from other women. And so let's be careful about what we put on that list. And the corresponding shame that can show up, that we can feel that, that 83% of people potentially felt because of those lists, those fictitious lists or those lists that are hidden from so many of us. And ultimately, if we do experience some degree of fraudulence, double life, we bring that to Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. God does not want you to walk out these doors feeling any ounce of shame. He scorned at shame. He took shame. You can be rid of any disgrace that you walked in here with on account of the gospel, on account of the good news of Jesus Christ. Jesus knows you as you are and he loves you the same. Hear that. Last one is that Jesus in his incarnation and resurrection show the value of the human body. For time's sake, gonna keep moving on, but I think that's valid. His incarnation, his resurrection, showing bodily that the, the body has tremendous value. Let me read as we near the end of my time. <laughs> Testimony of a hope, sir. Hear the distress, hear the struggle, hear the strain. Hear the way that he was loved. It's written, identity has always been one of the hardest words for me to hold and attach to, uh, and attached to it have been issues of love and control that have further complicated things. As a child, I wanted to identify with Christ, but the people closest to me, the ones that hurt me the most, were all Christians. And I didn't want to be like them. 
One of the most confusing times in my life regarding identity was from the age of nine to 16. During the days you could find me in the garage with my second stepdad building cars, attending church functions and going to church. While the sun was up, that man loved me like his own. But each night he would sneak into my room while my mom was sleeping and assault me. Because of this, I found myself struggling with my sexual identity. And until my early 20s, I considered myself to be gay. All the pain from this and other abuses at the hands of an unloving Christian family led me to walk away from my faith as a teen. And I began trying to find myself in true personal and spiritual connections. At the age of 23, after years of practicing witchcraft and numerous homosexual relationships, I met my first heterosexual partner and eventual wife. Looking back, I can see that this was the work of God and the start of a very long and difficult journey to understanding just who I am. I had no right to be in a committed relationship. I can see now that she loved me very deeply, but I in my pain was unable to reciprocate. Through our four years together, I would consider myself bisexual and would walk along a very fine line between commitment and adultery with both men and women until she finally had enough. God found me through our divorce and a lot of healing happened. My best friend describes the changes he noticed in me through salvation as literally happening overnight, though I still didn't know who I was. A few years later and a couple of years into my second marriage, having just moved back to Minnesota, my issues of identity would crop up in a big way. Having very little control over my circumstances, living in financial trouble and fighting with my wife, I decided that I was gonna transition. I had fantasized about being a woman since around the age of 12 and had been cross-dressing since much younger. For the next two years, I actively took hormones to facilitate the change and had come up with a plan to surgically transition. Finally, something I could control. I would only realize much later that what I was missing in my identity was love and understanding. By that time, I had been hospitalized several times for suicidal ideation and a few attempts and had undergone a procedure to correct my depression that caused me to forget around two years of my life, including the births of our youngest children. On April 19, 2016, I was released from the hospital, headed back to an apartment I didn't know I lived in, in a car I didn't remember buying with three kids, two of which I couldn't remember at all. My wife informed me that she and I were staying in different rooms and that she was still trying to decide if she was gonna stay with me. At the end of our conversation, we hugged and cried together. She told me that she loved me and was praying for me and God used her to show me who I am. A love that only God can give shone through her that day. A love that said, I will always love you no matter what. My identity from that moment to now has been, quote, loved. Over the next few days, weeks, months, and years, I made the decision to do whatever glorified God the most in our situation. I decided to stop transitioning. I checked myself into several intensive therapy programs. We started attending church again and we fought for our relationship. We have now been married almost 12, uh, 11 years. It's crazy to think now that what I needed to know my whole life was that someone loved me enough to care, to not care what I had done. I will always love you no matter what. Friends, that is a declaration of the gospel to us today. No matter what you might think or believe about this, no matter whether you have largely agreement or disagreement of things that I've said and tried to share from God's word, hear that. I will always love you no matter what. Hear that as the words of God to us through Christ. I will love you no matter what. And is it possible that we might be the kind of community that not just says that, but embodies that. I will love you 
no matter what, because people will search for community until they have one. They will search and search and search desperate for community. What if they are here now? What if they wander into these doors? Will we be a community that says, you know what? We love you. No matter what, God loves you. No matter what, please join us. Let's pray together. God, we need you. God, help us. That's been my prayer over these seven months. We need you, God, help us. We need you, God, help us. Help us to see you more clearly. Help us to see your gospel. Help us see see your goodness and kindness to us and how you've created us and wired us. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.